Good morning, church. I like the applause for the videos. That's good. We need to do that every time. Those are all meaningful. I think the reason we applaud for the people giving the announcements, we're just glad you got through it, right? Not easy to be on camera, right, John Galvin? That's not not easy. Uh, we are excited about uh, you guys being here today. I just want to add to the uh, life choices. Uh, as you know, Lisa and I are very involved in the pro-life movement uh, around the country. And so nowhere do I want to support more than our local life choices because uh, it's making a difference in our community. So be sure and fill up one of those bottles or get that $20 over where it can begin to do a lot of a lot of good in our community. Lisa and I are heading up to Kansas in a couple of weeks to do some uh, barnstorming. You know, there's great things happening uh, in the pro-life world, as we know. We're all anticipating and hoping that our states will get to decide that uh, murder is not okay. And so uh, we want to be able to be ready to fight those battles in the states as well. So we're excited about that. Um, this morning, we uh, I'm transitioning to a handheld microphone. So just so you know, uh, that's one less thing we're going to have to worry about uh, is me cutting out. Would you come on up, Anthony? Anthony Stewart is going to read our scripture for us. It says here, my spies tell me, Anthony, that you are playing the guitar in the OCS band. Is that right? Excellent. And you like to shoot guns. Nothing like a little rock and roll while you're doing your Second Amendment, right? I like it. So he's going to have our verse for us today. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Second Corinthians 5, 19 through 20. Thank you, Anthony. Catch you, buddy. <clears throat> so we're uh, making a transition today also from 1 Corinthians to 2 Corinthians. Um, you know, the, the, I guess the key word was unified in 1 Corinthians because the, the Corinthian church, they had a lot of issues, right? And disunity was kind of at the heart of it. And so what Paul does is lay out this great challenge for this church and he kind of settles down on two basic things in that book. He said the way to achieve unity is through the message of the cross, the power of the resurrection, and the fact that you love each other. I mean, a deep abiding love among the people of God. If you can hold those things together, have a core message, look forward to the resurrection, but also then live that life of love, you're going to be able to stay unified. You're going to get through any problem. And they had a lot of problems. And we still have problems today, right? So when we shift over to 2 Corinthians, we sort of, Paul takes this next step to the Corinthian church. And the idea is, is now if we can maintain and achieve unity, then we should be a fireball for Jesus. I mean, we should be on mission, on point. And so this book is about ministry. It's about a life of ministry which means a lot to me. Now, how many in here today, and I can see you guys in the fellowship center too, how many of you here today are ministers? How many ministers we got in the audience? Some of you are like, ah, oh, is this a trick question? Some of you are like, yeah, I better raise my hand because he's going to make some point about this, right? So I see you over there, fellowship center. Um, it depends on whether you use the word as a noun or a verb. We know that the noun word means clergy, right? Church leadership. That's why some of you are apprehensive, right? You're like, well, I'm not a, I'm not an elder. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a leader. 
so I'm not a minister. If you use that noun. Now, it also could mean the head of a government agency, right? Ministry of Defense or whatever. But the verb, that should make everybody want to raise their hand. Here's what minister means. To attend to the needs of others. Now, that's ministry. And I would hope that every one of us, even though it was a trick question, would want to attend to the needs of others. That really is the heart of Christianity. And I, and I thought it interesting that the word attend is in that definition because we think about church or the church, their, her work, for years and years and years, many people tie that to attendance. Well, I got to get back in church. I got to start going to church. As if attending was the end goal. But it's not. It never has been. Now, I, I love attendance. I'm the kind of guy, I mean, if you're going to get up and speak right, you'd like to have an audience. But attendance was never the goal. I love it when you leave a church building someplace, and I see them all over the country, and there's a sign that says you are now entering the mission field. It's a great concept, right? We're just here for the rally. This morning, singing praise to God, right? Worshiping. Perky's up here bebopping and snapping all over the place. I mean, it's exciting, right? And that's fun because we're lifting praises to God. Randall's preaching up here. But that's just a rallyus because the work is out there. People waiting for needs to be attended. That's our goal. So this book is about ministry. And there's five different things that we're going to look at over the course of this summer. And I'm just going to quickly go through them today for you. Because all of these would be great in our individual lives every single day. So, first of all, in 2 Corinthians 1, we are what I call ministers of discomfort. Now, the first chapter talks about comfort. The God of all comfort comforts us. But really, if you think about it, When we're doing ministry with other people, it's in discomfort, whether it's our own or someone else's. Have you ever thought about yourself being a minister of discomfort? You see, human beings crave comfort. We do, right? We like our comfortable chair at our house. We like our comfortable spot. We like our comfortable, I was going to say pew. We don't have pews. Our comfortable seat, right? And yet, all of us know that life is uncomfortable. I mean, things happen that we can't plan on, that we couldn't see, that we couldn't see coming. And the reason why life is so uncomfortable is because everyone is disrupting your comfort, your family, yourself, your spouse, your parents. The evil one, he provides a lot of discomfort, does he not? Even the Almighty says that he will cause us discomfort so that we can grow because of it. That's what the first chapter says. God comforts us in our discomfort so that we can comfort others. There's a reason. We face discomfort so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. Does that sound fair to you? See how we like to be comfortable? We don't want things to be unfair. 
We set our hope on Christ during times of discomfort so that others will give thanks for your deliverance. Could you believe that? Almighty God would have us face difficulties just so other people would give him praise because of our deliverance. That's what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. You see, the major point of this book is that the call of Christianity is not a call to comfort. Never has been. It's a call to service. And service is not comfortable. I mean, it makes us uncomfortable for me to even talk about being uncomfortable. I don't like that. And yet that's at the heart of Christianity. You remember Jesus' words to Ananias in that vision in Acts chapter 9? You know, he told Ananias in the vision, he said, look, I'm going to send this guy Saul to you. And then he tells him what to do. And then Ananias is like, he responds like we would. He's like, well, Lord, you sure? You sure this is the right Saul of Tarsus? This is a bad hombre. What was he immediately? Uncomfortable. This guy's done a lot of harm. You sure you want me to talk to him? What he was saying is, Lord, I'd just soon pass. And then Jesus tells Ananias, go. He doesn't say, have I triggered you? Have I made you uncomfortable? Do you need a safe space? He said, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. The bad, the bad guy? I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Well, that sounds like a fun call, right? <laughs> call to suffering. And this book, trust me, is going to be filled with the sufferings of Paul. Jesus meant what he said at the beginning. And yet, aren't you glad that Saul became Paul? And wrote most of the New Testament. Brethren, the church is not a country club. Now, I think some churches don't know that. They miss the memo. It's not a country club. It's not for the comfort of the members. And everyone to be in agreement on everything all the time. It's not what we're called to. The church is an ER. For the lost. For the people who have no hope. For the people who need healing and for the people who need Jesus, the discomforted, we're the ER. When I was a younger lad in my prodigal wandering in New Orleans, I worked at an ER in a hospital. I worked at night. Let me just tell you something. You work at an ER in New Orleans at night, you're going to see some things, not good things. So all these people were there, including me, including Al, with all of our problems, and we had many, me the chief of the many, but we pulled together for eight hours to help people that were worse off than we were in their moment of need, night after night. That's the church. We're full of people who have a lot of problems, me being the chief. But there are so many people who don't know Jesus, and we do.
Therefore, we are called to discomfort. Welcome to the ministry. Because we are called to the ministry of discomfort, the second thing we're going to talk about in this book, in chapters 2 through 4, are being the ministers of a new covenant. You see, the old covenant was spectacular. And it especially was for me. When I was a kid, I had the benefit of sitting at the feet of literally a blind guide. Preacher's wife in Junction City, Arkansas, she was blind. But man, could she tell some Old Testament stories. You didn't have to see to tell the stories. So me being a little four, five, six, seven-year-old boy, I sat at her feet, and I imagined all those plagues and that burning bush and Moses and that sea that parted and everything that happened in the Old Testament. I mean, it was so big to me. I still love it to this day. The Old Covenant was spectacular. But the Old Covenant had problems because ultimately there was no glory for the people of God. Just God himself. The old covenant showed us the separation. And so when Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians, he says, you know, the power of God was so powerful and so big that when it just, the presence of him even got near Moses, he lit up like a Christmas tree. But then he began to fade immediately because there was no glory for him. There was no glory for the people. There was a law that was given that was good and holy and righteous. It still is. But the old covenant only showed us that we couldn't keep it. So as good as it was, as great as it was, it was no glory. Paul would put it this way in Romans 3. There is no one righteous, not even one. All have turned away. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No glory. The Hebrew writer said this, Hebrews 8, quoting Jeremiah. There is a time coming when I will make a new covenant. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. Praise the Lord, the new covenant. And we are ministers of that covenant. The old covenant pointed to the Messiah, to the Savior. He was the fulfillment of all law, all prophecy, all scripture. He is the transformer of our lives. He is the one who brings glory literally into our hearts and minds through the Holy Spirit. That's the ministry of the new covenant. Jesus' glow never fades. You seen that glow in other people? Oh, it's spectacular. Never fades. You don't have to put a veil over this. We are the ministers of a new covenant. Third one. The reason we're ministers of a new covenant is, according to chapters 5 through 7, we are the ministers of reconciliation. You see, what Jesus did when he came to this earth, God becoming flesh, is he became the hybrid for us finally to be reconciled to God. Sin had reigned since the garden. It still reigns to this very day. People are sinners. They fall short of the glory of God. What is that? Somebody else preaching? 
all of a sudden I'm hearing voices. Maybe it's just me, Jeremy. I don't know what's going on. Um, ministers of reconciliation. Jesus came to fulfill all things, to live a sinless, perfect life, to sacrifice himself on a cross for all of humanity, to be raised from the dead, to pour out his Holy Spirit on all believers to ultimately reconcile us so that we no longer have a fear of death, but a glory of eternity. We are called to the ministry of reconciliation. From Adam to Jesus to today, we have been called. Paul said in Romans 1.17, In the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. The righteous will live by faith. Do you feel the righteousness of God? What a power. God made him, 2 Corinthians 5.21, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are now the ambassadors for the Almighty, the reconcilers of others on his behalf. What an honor. What a responsibility. And it, it's not comfortable, but it's glorious. And when you see that life change, it's amazing. Lisa and I were in Alaska a few years ago. It was our first time to go. And we were visiting a brother up there, Norman, and been a long-time supporter of One Kingdom and World Radio. And he, he's an artist, and uh, he has this art gallery. And you guys know how cultured I am and how much I love art. But, you know, I thought, I'm here. He's a cool guy. I'll go in and look around. You know, I took art appreciation in college, like all of you. Such wonderful money spent, right? So I, I walk in, and I'm looking, and it's amazing. I mean, he has these original paintings that are as big as the whole wall. And so I'm looking at all this stuff, and so I tell Lisa, I said, you know what? We, I, he supports us. I want to support what he's doing, too, so we're going to buy a print. When I tell Lisa, when I, the words come out of my mouth, we're going to buy, it triggers something in her. And she goes from looking to actively shopping. So, so she took off like a shot, you know. We're going to buy, you know. She's excited. So she's not with me, and I'm looking at this, the Northern Lights and Mount McKinley and just all these beautiful things he's pa- painted, all this, you know, all this stuff from Alaska. I'm, like, having an art moment here. And then I come around the corner. And there's one that just didn't belong. It looked like he decided he would put Alaska in hell. You know, it's just like everything was on fire. So I was looking at this thing, and I was like, whoa. I'm watching it. And I looked on this painting, and there was a little person. He had painted a little person, like, down on his knees and just, like, in this terrible position. And I thought, man. That might be me. And then I looked, and further up the road, there, there was the guy again. And he was heading away from all this fire and danger. And then I looked up on the mountain, because there was Mount McKinley, like reverse hell, 
And there the guy was on top of it with his hands raised like this, like the Celebrate Recovery guy. And the name of the painting was Through the Fires of Pain. And so I was, like, moved. So I went and found Lisa, and she's, like, got a list of all these things she wants to buy. Here's my top four. You know, this, 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 this. I said, you got to come see this painting. If you hadn't seen it yet, come, come with me. So we come around the corner. She looks at it. I said, what do you think? And she said, that is the ugliest thing in here. I said, I know. Just come and soak it in. Art, appreciate this painting. And she does. And she looked at it. And she got it. Because that was her. That was me. That was us. Through the fires of pain. What we had gained from the Almighty. What we now had as our ministry to help other people to be reconciled. I said, this is the one we're buying. And she said, I think we should. But I think we already look at these other four because there might be one in there you might want too, right? I mean, we're going to support him with one, why not two, right? Which we did, of course. That painting, by the way, is up in my office here. As a reminder to anybody that I talk to that's going through difficulty, that God is a God of healing and reconciliation. And he's a God of a new covenant that has made us righteous and glory lives in us. The fourth ministry is chapters 8 and 9, and this would make perfect sense. It's the ministers of generosity. Paul said in verse 8, 7, since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. Do you catch that? I mean, I think about faith and speech and knowledge and, and sincerity and love, but is giving at that level? According to Paul, it is. And he said we should excel in this. Therefore, we should grow in this generosity. He said in chapter 9, verse 6, Whoever spares sowingly, sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, this isn't a prosperity gospel. We're not talking about you got to give money to make money. A lot of people preaching that. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about when you give, whether it's money to your local church or to, you know, one kingdom or some other place, whether you give your time, your service, whether you volunteer for projects and help other people, any of it, the blessings that come back are so much bigger, so much more when you see people's lives changed. That's what he's talking about. And if you're stingy with that, if you're stingy with the victories of God in your own life, then you're not going to reap anything and you're not going to grow and we don't want to do that we want to be people who pay it forward alton howard many years ago taught me a great lesson he said don't loan money to the brothers and the sisters you invest in people to pay forward and that was a great lesson for me i'll help someone they'll say i'll pay you back don't pay me back You pay that forward. You go help somebody else. 
when you get out of this ditch that you've helped dig with the help of the evil one, you help someone else out of the ditch. That is the ministry of generosity. Got a video of one of our sisters here that I want to share with you. Would you guys roll that? I love ministry life. It it changed my life. It saved my life. It brought me with a, a, to a true relationship with Jesus Christ. I want others to find the same hope and healing that I found. So my rescue was not a conventional rescue. I didn't have an aha moment per se. It was just um, coming back time after time, not necessarily coming to CR, but just coming to where people that were rescued were. I just surrounded myself with people that were already rescued, and I just felt like if I kept coming around, at some point it would come to me, and that's what I did. That's how I was rescued. It wasn't this miraculous moment. It was a bunch of miraculous moments where people loved on me, and I saw how it was done, and I just started doing what they were doing. There were so many people that poured into me. Um, It started with Kay Robertson, who loved me when I was so broken, I didn't even know which way to turn. Um, Nina Geiger was one of my heart moms that just kept letting me come to her heart, heart felt ministry, even though I wasn't in their group. Um, Lauren Vincent um, gives the best hugs and hugged me as tight as she possibly could. She hugged the tears out of me sometimes. Um, Missy Robertson, I went on a beach retreat and she spent hours talking to me. Uh, Kayla McQueen, Amy Abels, um, Gosh, there's so many. Miss Luann, Miss Lori, they still listen to me when I'm struggling. Um, everybody in this church, there's not been a time that I came in this church building and someone didn't greet me, hug me, and tell me that they loved me. Not one time did I ever not feel loved when I came to any event that they were um, offering for me, whether it was a Bible study, a CR group, a um, fun day, a Super Bowl party, whatever it was, I was loved on every time I came here. So that's what makes me passionate about the ministry and the recovery is that every time I see somebody broken, that's me walking through the door again, and I want to give them exactly what I got, which was love, compassion, grace, mercy, all those things that was given to me when I was broken. That's what I want to give back to people. So I started loving on people, and that's what got me to wanting to serve more. And so I started just coming and hanging out wherever there was serving to be done, whether it was setting up for a Mother's Day, Father's Day event, whether it was um, serving, hanging out in the witness room on a Friday night. I just... How can I help you? If they ask me to do something, can you help with the nursery? Yes. I just, like Kayla says, I just became a yes woman. Do you need help? Yes. And so I just started saying yes to everything. Do you need me to help that? Yes. Can I help you? Yes. And so once I started serving, 
it became easier to love on people and it became easier to see Christ in everything that I did because then I became the hands and feet of Jesus. Then I became Jesus with skin on. Where I saw other people with Jesus with skin on, I became that person. My name is Stephanie Strahan. I am a minister of reconciliation, an ambassador to the Almighty, and a dealer of hope. What a beautiful story. I became a yes woman. I like that. Ministry of discomfort, of a new covenant, of reconciliation, of generosity. And then as Stephanie just shared, we really become ministers of hope. At the end of the Second Corinthians, the last four chapters, Paul gets very personal about his own difficulties and his own hopelessness. When he gets to chapter 12, he talks about a thorn in his flesh, a messenger of Satan sent to torment him. That was such a burden to him that he asked Jesus three times to take away the burden. Now, this guy had been through so much, and we'll talk about it when we go through the book. But for him to do this, this was bad. This felt hopeless to him. And yet Jesus told him one of the most hope-filled statements in the entire Bible in chapter 12, verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You think about how hopeful that statement is. When you're low, when you're down, when you're going through something so painful and difficult and you just feel like, how can I face it? When you go to sleep thinking about it and you wake up and it's the first thing that hits you. Think about those words from Jesus. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And we are weak. Therefore, Paul said in verse 10, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And that's what the power of ministry is. And even though you didn't, not everybody raised their hand at the beginning, I'm telling you, you're all ministers. God has called us to this. And if for some reason you don't feel like that you're called to that or participating, then you need to have a moment. It needs to be an uncomfortable moment with the Almighty and the Holy Spirit that lives in you. First of all, is He in you? Because if you've never come to Christ, if you've never believed in him, if you've never committed to follow him, if you've never been immersed to begin that new walk and new life so the Holy Spirit can reign in your heart, then that's where you have to start. You can't be a dealer of hope if you have no hope. And so today would be a great day to begin that process. It happens every day all over the world including right here in our community. And then sometimes we just get distracted, right? We have those hopeless moments. We have those discomforts. I get it. But it's always about a chance to renew. The beauty is every single day brings new mercies of Christ. And so today is a new day. So if you've been battling something, 
and you think, man, I just, I need to lay that battle before the feet of Jesus so I can get about my ministry, today would be a great day. If you have any of these needs, why don't you come while we stand, while we sing?